Hello, and welcome to Matt and Kevin Talk Church, two pastors from two different denominations talking about faith, culture, the Bible, and the ins and outs of church ministry. My name is Kevin Sheehan. I'm the Associate Pastor of Reformed Presbyterian Church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And I'm Matt Curtis, Pastor of Decision Life Church and Evangelical Free Church in Wairika, California. Glad to have you guys join us. You are listening. We are recording this on May 14th, 2020. And uh, if you're listening to this uh, years from now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. That's what's going on in our world right now. I I always imagined when there was a pandemic that Morgan Freeman would do the voiceover. And I'm just sort of disappointed that that is not how things have worked out. And so that's one of my disappointments in the season. So just uh, a little bit about how Kevin and I know each other. Uh, We have been friends for, gosh, almost 30 years. Uh, We met uh, I guess initially in high school, but we became friends uh, in, I guess, the summer between our senior year and fre- freshman year of college. Or maybe it was, maybe it was our, between our freshman and sophomore year. Anyway, a really long time ago, we were just a part of this Bible study group, and he and I had a lot in common then, a kind of a similar sense of humor. And uh, as we've grown, uh, neither of us set out to be pastors, but that's the direction our lives took us and we have just sort of, he's been just a really important part of my faith journey. In fact, it's really hard to talk about my own story without talking about Kevin. And so uh, that's, from my perspective anyway, that's how we know each other. And that's why we're doing this podcast because we uh, often make plans and seldom follow through. But this time we're going to finally do something we set out to do together. So that's, that's a little bit about us. That's right. We've been talking about doing this for a number of years. We we still call each other frequently from across the country to talk about this and that and the other personal stuff, professional stuff. And so, you know, so someday we ought to just record this and see if anybody else in the world cares. So we're about to find out the answer to that question. And I'm afraid we already know what the answer is, but we're going to find out anyway. As Matt said, we're in the middle of a pandemic, COVID-19, the coronavirus. This uh, kind of reared its head at the beginning of the calendar year. Uh, got on all of our radars probably in really by February or so. And then by March, everything kind of started to fall apart. Um, so we thought it would be, that'd be a good place to start by backing up the calendar about two months and talking about how, what March was like and some of the, the changes and effects that the pandemic has had on our churches. Well, I'll start with me real quick. I, I remember that we had a, uh, an elders meeting in Presbyterian parlance, a session meeting. All the elders came together. It was our normal monthly meeting. It was Wednesday, March 11th. Coronavirus was on our radar, and we're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do for church on Sunday? How do we, you know, disinfect everything? Do we, you know, what, what do we do? Um, and it was kind of from that moment on, from that Wednesday the 11th on, that things quickly spiraled out of control. So, um, Matt, question for you. When did it all kind of sink in that this thing was going to be big? Like the dates are kind of hard for me to remember because frankly, at this point, it kind of all runs together and like knowing what day it is even at this point is a challenge. But I think like I began seeing things in the newspaper, like about stuff going on in China in January-ish, but I didn't take it terribly seriously. It was like, oh, something terrible is happening in China again um, and didn't necessarily sink in. Um, But I'd say around late February. I began to think, okay, okay, this could be something. I began to wonder like what was going to happen. But I think things really, like there was a switch in, in uh, my feeling about it was kind of middle of uh, March when 
the governor here in California was like, okay, um, everyone stay at home. Like I, I was kind of keeping an eye on it before that because, of course, San Francisco and Los Angeles had had their stay-at-home orders before then. And I have to confess, at that point, I wasn't totally sure that that was the right thing. I thought I kind of sort of wondered, is this like an overreaction type deal? Um, but as it's developed, I felt less and less that way as we've gone on. And so we had like an elders meeting probably around the same time you did and just decided that we were going to um, look at live streaming our service for a season. And so we took steps to get some equipment uh, to do that. And so right now on Sundays, um, we're live streaming. I've got me and a, like just a couple of people to do worship and a uh, some someone to run the sound and run the slides. And that's really it. Um, so there's maybe, you know, five or six people that, that come and they're there while I'm teaching on Sunday. And really, I have to say, like, I just teach and show up. I've got a really great team of people who uh, make all that work. So, like, I deserve zero credit for how quickly we've been able to adapt. Our worship leader, Nate, has just been really uh, outstanding. And so uh, we're lucky, especially for a small church like us, to be able to pivot so quickly is really just um, the Lord's being kind and gracious to us and providing in those things. So I'd say that's kind of been the progression. It went from, oh, this is no big deal to, oh, this might be a big deal to, oh my gosh, and just sort of scrambling to figure it all out. And I think we've been scrambling to figure it all out ever since as it's progressed from, and maybe we talk about this next time, I don't know, from shelter in place to things slowly beginning to op open up and what that looks like for the church to do that. But maybe that's another conversation for another day. But that's a, that's kind of been the progression here. Yeah, I remember we came out of that elders meeting on, on the 11th and it was like, all right, I think I think we got this under control. Like we're, we're taking some steps. We'll take out all the hymnals. We'll, you know, not not pass the plate. We'll not, you know, not have basically do a no touch service as we're calling it. People will hold the doors open. Uh, so, all right, I feel good with that. And then like literally we left that meeting. The first thing, uh, you know, my friend Anthony looks at his phone. The first thing he says is, huh, I canceled the NBA season. Like that, like that just happened. I was like, wait, what? And then, of course, the next day, like all the college basketball stuff got canceled and pretty much everything in the sports world got canceled. The next day, Friday the 13th, the governor closes all of the schools. Um, so it was just kind of like day after day. It was just like yeah. this whirlwind of like, oh, my goodness. And by the time Sunday came around, it was like, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be meeting. Uh, like it, it just it happened so quickly where he we went from, ah, I feel comfortable with this to my goodness, this is, this is very strange. Very similar. Like one Sunday we, okay, let's do hand sanitizer. Let's have that available. Let's not do coffee anymore. Like there were certain, we were scaling right. back. And, but then it went from that to, oh man, we can't have people in the building in a matter of like three days. Like at one, like, in fact, at the elder meeting, we decided, Hey, yeah, well we can stay open because here the County was saying, if you're 50 or under, you can still meet. And we were like, well, we're, on our best day, you know, we might have 50. And so we're like, oh, we're probably good. We'll, we'll, you know, not do snack anymore. We'll, like you said, make sure the doors are open. But then Governor Newsom, you know, made a, basically it, everyone, the whole state had to stay at home. And so that just really changed how we were going to do it. And I have to say, like, it's been fluid ever since. Like, it seems like what there's like a new way of looking at it nearly every day. Yeah. We left that Sunday, the 15th then and had another kind of, you know, uh, hastily called elders meeting. 
and decided to close for two weeks. That was sort of what everyone was doing. The schools had closed for two weeks. So let's just close for two weeks and sort of see where we're at. And then we met again like a week and a half later on a Wednesday night or whatever. And uh, at that point, it was pretty clear this was going to, we're in it for the long haul. Um, so we closed for the remainder of April. In retrospect, it is obvious. At the time, it felt very drastic. Because it was just, I mean, who who'd ever heard of that before, where we just shut down, you know, for six weeks at a time. And that's, that's it was six weeks to the end of April. Obviously, it's six and counting at this point. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was interesting, but part of it was I felt like, and this wasn't my original idea, but you know, if we keep doing the two weeks at a time thing, it's easy to keep kicking the can down the road. Whereas if we just say, okay, we're closed for a long time, that forces us to make adjustments. Otherwise, we might just sort of be stuck on this two week holding pattern and another two week holding pattern, and it goes yeah. on forever. So uh, we did <clears throat> that until further notice, is what we said. We just okay. wanted to, I mean, because we didn't know, like I, and I had a sense that it was going to be a while just from the way, from the kind of language the governor was using here. It just sounded like it was going to be a while. And of course, yeah. like, I, look, I'm not a public health expert. I don't have a degree in epidemiology or anything like that. So I mean, I'm just going off the information that, you know, everyone else is getting. And so we just sort of went, okay, until further notice. Right. At this point, we actually just had another meeting last night and we decided we're closed through June 7th, uh, at least. Um, and we'll meet again in two weeks. We've still met like every two weeks as as elders, as the session to just yeah. sort of, you know, kind of keep tabs of where we're at and stay updated. Yeah, it's it's been difficult. I think last night's meeting was the most difficult in terms of figuring out what's the best course of action. Every other meeting has been pretty obvious. It's like, yeah, we have to close for two weeks. Or yeah, we have to close for April. Like those were all fairly easy decisions. And at the end of April, we said we have to close at least the first half of May. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was actually easy to closed for the remainder of May. But beyond that, it started to get a little more, um, there's a little more difference of opinion in terms of, should we open June 7th or not? Yeah. Should it be June 14th, June 21st, July? Yeah. It, it was starting to get a, a lot fuzzier. See, I agreed. Like we're facing that too. Like we have like a target opening date. I'm not going to say what it is because, you know, I don't want it to be Pastor Matt said because that could change because everything's fluid. Um, but we have a plan in place here. We have to submit something to the county and have it like have a plan. Here's what it'll look like. Here's how we're going to maintain social distance. Here's how we're going. To, I mean, that's all stuff that has to be submitted to the county before we can do anything like that. And really, until we're in phase three, which is probably different here than it is in Pennsylvania, um, we're it's just not something we can consider. And so we have. I ha we have a I have a guess based on information of when that will happen, but it's a guess. You know what I mean? And so right. I'm not going to say out loud on a pod podcast what our guess is, but we have a plan um, in place. Yeah, we started to move that way. We've been looking into live streaming equipment, which we realize is fairly expensive to do it well. It's just it's expensive, and part of the hesitancy to do that is, you know, if we buy all this stuff and and kind of jump into it then we have all this expensive equipment that we may not need in six months yeah. i mean basically like that first sunday that we were shut down some of the associate pastors head pastor tom and we kind of split the preaching duties i mean typically i do about 30 percent but uh 
it's been more 50 50 during this pandemic kind of just the way it's worked out uh anyway so so he preached that first sunday and it was just he put his laptop laptop on a stool you know and it was facebook live and it was you know uh the, the audio video quality was pretty poor and not, not 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 everyone has facebook um but it was like that's all we can kind of do on such short notice yeah and we were doing devotionals twice a day that first week just because there was this sense of panic and fear and unknown and everything else so that was kind of our way of kind of keeping touch with people um and it got tons of views whenever we did those videos they're all facebook live videos so it was it was it was touching on a felt need those have kind of petered out at this point but that first week the first sunday was a facebook live thing the second sunday i actually recorded it on a saturday and i used zoom and i was able to by using share screen and whatnot i was able to at least bring up like a powerpoint so we could have um you know uh, like a, a call of worship or a you know confession or just the words of the you know the the, the sermon text um and I think we actually just had a, a YouTube video of a worship song that I kind of tacked onto the end. But using Zoom, I was able to toggle screens and it would record that. And it came out again at the time. It felt very slick <laughs> uh, just because that's, you know, we were doing a new thing every week. The third week, we did something different uh, where our well, really, our music director was able to. He has some more kind of AV skills and a better computer and was able to kind of produce something that was much more slick yeah. um so it was like really like the first four weeks it was like a new process every week trying to get the sunday service up uh, and that was that was exhausting you know you sort of get used to your rhythms for, for your week for preparing for sunday um, and there was just no rhythm it was all just brand new it was all in the midst of all the other stresses of life too now we're very blessed in that we have a really good group of deacons and elders who who got themselves organized and did 99 percent of the pastoral care every person in our church was called um, and followed up with and continues to be so that's been a huge burden off me and tom so we've been able to focus on other things uh without having to make you know 30 40 phone calls every week just trying to kind of do the pastoral care side of things yeah we uh, what i did is I, I just took the directory and made lists and like assigned my elders different families to check in with is how we kind of handled that part of it and so we just divvied it up and of course i'm, I'm calling people who are also being called by the elders some just because at least here when you're a solo pastor there's a different expectation of that you're going to hear from you know the pastor smaller churches just have a different um level of expectation of accessibility you know what i mean like in a church right. like yours it's different than than mine but but yeah it's a the pastoral care part of it's been interesting i hosted like a zoom zoom dinner party a few weeks ago for mm -hmm. some people in my church and what we did is we uh all got takeout from like a local place to kind of support the local businesses and just have fellowship together i mean it wasn't the same but it it was fun nonetheless and so it's kind of doing that kind of again i never imagined i would do something like that but that's been uh one of the things that we've done and i i've been making videos too little devotional videos 
I'm doing them less now than I was before, but maybe about three days a week, I've got something. And so, and they're short. They're like six, between six and seven minutes. And I don't do Facebook live. What I do is I premiere it. I, 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 I typically record in the morning and then it uh, premieres in the evening, you know, when people are back from work or after dinner or whatever. And again, we're not getting the kind of views that you are because we're, you know, we're small and you're bigger. Um, but it's, I think it's been meaningful for people. So that's, that's something. Yeah. Zoom was a lifesaver for us. We probably got that in early April or so. And uh, that enabled us to have committee meetings, ministry team meetings. Uh, and again, because we were, because we said we are canceled through all of April, that kind of forced people to be like, all right, well, we actually better start meeting again. We can't just sort of wait two weeks and see what happens. Um, so people got on Zoom. They embraced that pretty well. We've been able to do our, all of our session meetings on Zoom, deacons meetings on Zoom. We've done small group meetings on Zoom. Uh, so that's been, that's been a super helpful tool. We did start doing, I think it was after Easter, we started doing Sunday school again on Zoom. So we, you know, we're pre-recording the services on a Saturday. And we tell people to watch it at 9.30 on Sunday, which is our normal meeting time, just, just for the sake of kind of feeling like we're all doing something together at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and most people have embraced that. And then we started doing like our normal fellowship hour. The idea was that everyone would watch the service at 9.30, and then our normal fellowship hour time was after the service until Sunday school at 11.15. And so we started doing that where we said, hey, just jump on Zoom whenever you're done watching the service, about 10.45 or so. And we just hang out for a while. And then 11.15, whoever's teaching Sunday school just starts teaching uh, just right on Zoom. So, And that, that worked out really well, especially the first few weeks. I think everyone was just so excited to see everyone. You know, that, that was really fun. I think some of the energy of that has petered out just because it's not novel anymore. Um, and I get it. Like, I'm, I'm definitely growing weary of Zoom stuff. And I'm not looking forward to going in Saturday to record the sermon this week. It's just it's just it's just hard to you know like when we do it i'm literally the only person in the room it's me and a laptop you know i'm looking into the camera of the laptop and it's a completely empty room otherwise um so it's very strange to try to give a sermon with the same amount of kind of energy and personal personableness and and whatever else yeah we talked about this like offline but like for me like one of the weird like i never really thought about how much i depend on nonverbal feedback from the people in the audience like people right forward and can tell that you with you like i'm a much better preacher when there are people there and so it's it's just interesting in many ways it's been humbling to go you know matt your gifting is not really the thing it's the word proclaimed and sure it's funky and weird now but I am the Lord and I'm going to use it anyway. And so that's been a, uh, that's one of the, like, I just been humbling for me to just sort of reckon with that. I will say, and this is, this just goes to the just awesomeness of my people. So this woman in my church, Angela, she like unbeknownst to me, like collected pictures from everyone in the congregation and like had them printed out and got into the church, like on Saturday and like put them like all like the pictures of everyone in the seats where they would normally sit that's awesome and so I, I showed up on sunday and it's like they were all there and it's i had this weirdly like emotional like reaction to it like yeah. i had this lump in my throat because partly it was man i just miss those people so much but also like this person knows me well enough to know that that would be 
encouragement to me. Yeah. I yeah. like, and it just, yeah, it was really a moving thing for me. Like it was very meaningful. Yeah. And so now like during the week I go into the sanctuary and I just pray over all the people in front of their picture. Yeah. And I just pray over the different families there in the sanctuary. It's just been that small gesture. has just been a giant, giant thing for me. Yeah. We, the way that we set it up at the front of the, our sanctuary where we're doing the recordings, we moved up like these two kind of tall walls that have fabric on them, basically as sound absorbers. So the sound quality would be a little better. It wouldn't be quite as echoey on the recording. Uh, and at one point I just, I printed out a directory of you know, all of our people, all of all the a photo directory and just taped it to the wall there. So it's, kind of just off the side as I'm as I'm preaching so I kind of I always look at it before I start the recording is kind of look through all the faces and be like okay this is who I'm this is who I'm talking to you know even if I can't see them they're not here today it's not Sunday morning this is weird and awkward but it just puts me in the right frame of mind okay these are my people uh, these are the people that will be listening to this tomorrow morning yeah, so yeah. It, it, it's hard to preach in an empty room, um, yeah. but having just the pictures and having even just seeing people on Zoom, uh, you know, even when the, I mean, we have you know twenty five people on the screen, it's not like you can really have a conversation just the way Zoom works. But just just you know looking at everyone's faces, you know, uh, it's just really encouraging. I don't think people realize. And I've thought this before coronavirus. I don't think people realize how encouraging it is to their pastor just for them to show up Yeah. on a Sunday morning. Just watching people come in the door, you know, as they're gathering, you know, before the service, as I'm sort of sitting up front, kind of watching everyone come in. It's like, you don't realize how encouraging it is for me just to watch you come in. And that was, you know, before coronavirus. You know, forget all that. Absolutely. So a couple of, I don't know, a couple, three days ago, uh, you did this post on Facebook that I thought was like just particularly helpful, especially in light of just the way I've seen the discussion about all of this unfold on social media. And there are helpful and unhelpful ways of doing that. And I just thought you did a really uh, excellent job of just addressing some of the issues there. So why don't you, I don't know if you have that handy. Why don't you just read? Some, why don't you just read what you posted? And because uh, I think it's, I think it'd be really edifying for our listeners, both of them, both of our listeners. I think will be really edified by, uh, by that post. So what, you, both of them, meaning like you and me. Well, you know, when I told my wife there'd be like three lists, three listeners, and she said, "You're not counting me as one of the listeners, are you?" So, <laughs> so, 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 who knows what that'll be? It's probably like my mom and your mom. And, you know, maybe Angie's listening somewhere, but that's Tony and Jeremy. If you're listening, hope you hope you enjoy it. But anyway. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, if you're listening to this in 2030, 10 years from now, and social media has been outlawed uh, because it's a public health hazard. Uh, <laughs> there was this there was this thing called Facebook and uh, it's basically a train wreck of people sharing their worst thoughts and, and least charitable thoughts. Uh, and it's been it's been frustrating to see how social media has been used um, to make a pandemic politicized uh, and just to be very uncharitable. Um, and so I'd been stewing on some of these things for a while. And I, I kind of tinkered around with these for you know, three or four days before I kind of felt like I got the wording 
right. Uh, so yeah, so I'll just run through these. These are called 10 thoughts on COVID-19 and social media. And I wrote, I can't believe some of these even need to be said, <laughs> but here we are. But here we are, yeah. So number one, going back to restaurants or work or whatever does not necessarily mean you are brave, patriotic, or wise. Staying home does not necessarily mean you are fearful, right? We've seen these memes come up and said, you know, all you, if you're staying at home, you're just fearful. You're cowards. You're whatever. I'm going back to work. Or I'm going out, you know, and wave the flag and yay for, yay for you. And I'm like, this is dumb. Sorry, but this is dumb. But thought number two, on the other hand, staying home does not necessarily mean you are more informed, more caring, or more virtuous. It's easy to preach stay home when you have a nice big home, are unaffected financially, and or have access to get outside. You know, there's a balance to these things, and people, social media doesn't handle balance or nuance very well. It's just you have to be on one side or the other. And it's just like, well, I'm going back to work because I'm patriotic and wise and brave, and you're just a fraidy cat. It's like, well, I'm staying home because I'm virtuous and caring and informed and, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, there's a certain privilege to being able to stay home and not be uh, bankrupt by it. So I thought those needed to just be said right out, right out of the gate. So number three, feel free to jump in whenever. This is, again, kind of trying to speak to the nuance of balancing both sides. Number three, getting COVID-19 and dying is bad. But economic devastation can be pretty bad, too. There will be plenty of suffering from the disease and plenty from the cure. I don't know the proper balance between these, and neither do you. Anyone who thinks they have the answer is a fool, especially if they think the answer can be sufficiently explained by a meme. I love that. I love that line so much. <laughs> it just drives me nuts. That's my favorite line in the whole thing. Anyway, go ahead. Again, it, as, we're, as we're recording this on May 14th, the, the big question really throughout the whole country is, you know, how do we open up? How do we balance you know, staying safe with the fact that we, we do need to get the economy going, like this isn't sustainable? Yeah. So you know, how do we balance these things? And again, of course, social media, what it is, everyone rushes to one side or the other and lobs bombs. And it's just, I don't know the answer, but yeah. uh, you know, we have to understand both sides and how they affect us. So number four, everyone handles this differently. And literally every community has a different variety of factors that make decision-making tricky at any level. We're in uncharted waters and one-size-fits-all solutions are in vain. So be gracious. I mean, you experienced this in California because Wairika is rural, Northern California. It's not the same as the Bay Area or LA. Yeah, totally um, different. My brother lives in Western New York State, you know, totally different than Manhattan. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so like at some level, this has to be localized. It yeah. has to be localized. And this is a big thing in Pennsylvania right now where the governor has said one thing and the, some of the counties have pushed back and said another and said, we're not going to listen to the governor. And then, in fact, our borough has said, we're not going to do what the county says. So, like, our county isn't doing what the governor says, and our borough isn't doing what the county says. So, we're just like, <laughs> so when it comes to like obeying the governing authorities, it's like, well, which one? You know, we, you, <laughs> it's like on three different levels, they're saying three different things. So, it's tricky. All right, number five exercising freedom is not a virtue. It's a privilege, perhaps, which, which comes with responsibility, but it's not a virtue. Loving your neighbor is a virtue. And that can look 
many different ways. First Peter 2.16, Galatians 5.13 still apply. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It just kind of drives me nuts when people want to, you know, tout the fact that they're exercising their freedom as if, as if they're virtuous in some way. Well, like, the, the whole, the whole notion of freedom is a difficult thing. And the whole, especially like first Peter's whole, like honor the King. Um, I mean, he's talking about a King who's going to like, you know, kill him soon. Like, like, like that, that, that's the thing that's, difficult to wrap our heads around and so but now you have to nuance that some though with honoring the king in america looks different than it does in china because what's built into our republic is you know there's a right and even someone even say a responsibility to question your leaders to some extent um but question and rebellion are different things and so th there is like a fine line there um but but where i think we can we're, what we can really sink our teeth into when we're talking about something like freedom. If we're going to talk about freedom the way the Bible does, freedom is always for others and never another for self. Right. And it doesn't, and the Bible doesn't really talk about rights at all. In fact, the only one who's ever spoken of as having any rights really, well, I guess Paul to some extent, but really Jesus. And it's mentioned in the context of his laying those prerogatives aside. <laughs> So, like, th there's no like, there's no call to exert your rights. Now, y there may be a time when, as a matter of wisdom, you do. Um, but again, that requires wisdom. And are we are we doing what's wise and what's helpful? And are we thinking of our rights as as to be used for others rather than self? That that that's the that's the grid we need to think through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go. Number six, the ninth commandment in Second Timothy two twenty three still apply. Don't slander. Don't post false or unverified information. Don't give wacko nut job conspiracy theories the time of day. My Preach. goodness, there's a lot of that going around these days. Have nothing to do with silly irreverent myths. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I there's so many people. I just want to say, just stop. This stop. Yeah. And, and it, I, I came very close last week to, to telling someone in my congregation, like, you need to put, you need to take this down. Like, you need to repent and take this post down. And I don't normally go yeah. there. I mean, it's social media. People can post their dumb opinions. It's fine. But I was like, this is, you're over the line here. You're breaking the ninth commandment and you need to take it down yeah. and apologize. Yeah. So I, I think there's, I think part of what's happening, like what helps me understand it, because it's easy to just go like, what's the matter with you? Why are you doing that? But I think part of what's happening is people are frustrated. They're frustrated with the lack of control. They're frustrated with uh, the things that they're comfort, the things that make them comfortable are being stripped away. They're frustrated that the government keeps seems, feels like keeps moving the goalpost. Right. And so I think there's just I think there's just a lot of frustration. And now, to be fair, the reason they're moving the goalpost is because it's a fluid situation. Like that's by definition how that works. But I think what we're, I think what happens when we're frustrated is we try and find things, either consciously or unconsciously, that affirm our frustration and cling to those. So we find something that affirms how frustrated we are, and gives 
just someone to blame. And so we post it without regard for whether or not it's true or, or, or even if it is true, is it edifying? Like, does it build anyone up? Is it, is it helpful? Like all of that. Like, I don't, I think the grid has to be, um, again, coming back to uh, wisdom is, is it wise or helpful? And James has this uh, admonishment in chapter one to be slow to speak. And I think we could modify that to say slow to tweet. And here's the thing, like I, I'm, I'm not a public health expert. I'm not an epidemiologist. And so I need to stay in my lane. I don't engage in that stuff. Um, I'm not an expert. And so it's a, I just think that's, it's just yeah. shocking how little discernment some people have. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because everyone has a microphone now, and so and so that makes it really hard to dis, uh, really hard to discern who's credible and who isn't. I, I, there was somebody who like posted something that was, I think, not true, and so I just took something from Snopes and was like, just for your information, this might not be the whole story. And the comeback was, well, Snopes is a left wing, blah 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 blah. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, what fact-checking and what, what fact-checking service do you pre- prefer? And this was like another pastor in the area. And he goes, well, I just check it out for myself. And then if it's wrong, I take it down later. Without, when he didn't necessarily say how he checks it out for himself or how he determine, right. determines if it's right or wrong or what criteria he's using. To, I mean, yeah. so it, and I just didn't engage with it any further, but I think anytime the arbiter of what's true or what's not is you, I think there's like, I just think you're on shaky ground. So I mean, I've said a lot, but I'm going to close it like this section of it with this. This is a frustrating time. And I think especially when you're frustrated, that's a really good time to be quiet because the odds of you're saying something that's going to build up are low. Yeah. And so if you're fr- if you're feeling frustrated with the government or frustrated with your neighbors or frustrated with COVID-19 and I think that's all of us maybe now it's not the best time to post about it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean that that's just my Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, it kind of leads us to number 7, which is there's a good chance that the consensus of the WHO, World Health Organization, National Institute of Health and CDC have more information and more ability to evaluate that information than you or your best buddy or the wacko nut job conspiracy theorist on the internet. There's also a good chance that your local government officials are privy to more information than you. Romans 13 Great. and 1 Peter 2, 13 still apply. That last part was really something that we had talked about, you had mentioned whenever we spoke last. Yeah. So that kind of goes along with number, well, kind of we're talking about with number six. So number eight, There's a whole lot of American exceptionalism and prosperity gospel lurking beneath much of the behavior I'm witnessing, even if subtle. Failure to believe that anything catastrophic could possibly happen here. Failure to reckon with and accept hardship. And failure to imagine anything other than complete restoration are all symptoms of the disease. I see this within the church and in the general culture. You know, I just think, like, we have this sense of, like, you know, like when something bad happens in China or Iran or whatever, it's like, well, that happens there. That wouldn't happen here. You know, I, mean, I think we probably had a similar response that you had about, oh, something in Wuhan, like whatever. Like it's not going like to shut down an American city. Like that just will never happen. You know, it's just that sense of exceptionalism. Like it just can't happen here. 
Yeah. I mean, for me, for me, it wasn't exceptionalism. It was like, I mean, at least I don't think so. I'd have to examine that more. I think it was more like, I can't respond to every bad thing that's happening in the world. And so since I can't control what's happening, I, well, I'm not going well, to Well, sure. And, and, and how often do these things happen somewhere else in the world that never really quite pan out over here? And we've all lived through these other sort of health scares that turned out to be not really that big of a deal. But even like as it was happening in America, it still kind of felt like it can't possibly get that bad here, can it? Because um, we just don't deal with hardship well. Even yeah. even now, and we'll talk about reopening next time. Yeah. Sort of like the the rush to reopen. I mean, there's good reasons to try to reopen, of course, but some of it feels like it's it's brought about more by I just can't deal with hardship anymore. I just want to get back to normal. Because we have such a poor theology of suffering and such little experience with it that when it happens, we just we can't handle it. It feels, it feels exceptional, and like historically, it's not exceptional. Right. Like one of the things, one of the things Tim Keller writes about, and maybe we can talk about this another time. He talks about how the problem of evil and like why suffering happens was not a question people wrestled with in like the 17th century. Like it was just expected that like two of your kids were going to die. Like, like, like there was no, like, why is this happening to me? Like that wasn't, that wasn't even a, a question. And it really wasn't until the late 19th and 20th centuries that that in philosophy even became like, a question. Yeah. And I brought this, I brought this up last night in our session meetings. Like I, I sometimes wonder how like, you know, the church in China or in the middle East looks at the American church right now, people who have, who they have to meet underground as a way of life. We're being persecuted. Yeah. You know, and, and we're just like, and we just, we have to reopen or the government's, you know, restricting, taking away our freedoms or whatever. I wonder if they just look at us and go, are you kidding me? Like, really? You've been at this for what, two months? You've still been able to get together on Zoom. You're, you know, financially, most people are still okay. Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. And it's, it's one of those hard things to know in my own heart how much of this is coming from uh, this exceptionalism or prosperity gospel that's just so innate we can't even see it in our own no. minds and hearts. I don't know. It's, it's hard to evaluate my own heart in that, much less others. Yeah. But so I, so I just, I just wonder more than anything. Yeah, we should have Rob Enfield on to talk about that. But like, like that would be a really good, maybe a really good discussion. I remember what he told me. He said the hardest thing about the underground church is the digging. That that's the, that's the most difficult thing. But that's a joke, guys. Jeez, Kevin's not even cracking a smile at my joke. Jeez, brutal. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Number nine is a difference between trusting God and testing God. See Psalm ninety-one and Matthew four. Christians shouldn't fear death, but neither should they welcome it or treat lives casually. And, you know, Psalm 91 was, I think we preached on it like the first Sunday of this thing, because it's a psalm of reassurance. And in Matthew 4, when Jesus is being tested, Satan quotes Psalm 91. Right? And said, the angels will protect you, right? So throw yourself off the temple. And of course, Satan gets rebuked by Jesus. And so one of my old professors actually pointed this out. Uh, you know, it's Satan that that quotes but misapplies Psalm 91. And, you know, early April or so, there were, there was probably not really that many churches, but they were vocal and, uh, uh, and became news of, you know, we're not going to shut down. We're not scared. We're not, you know, whatever. We trust God. It's like, are you trusting God or testing God? Because like, you can't just quote Psalm 91 and yeah. be like, ah, God's going to protect me. It's like, well, if the Lord wills. But I yeah. mean, Satan quoted that verse. 
And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was testing God and it was rebuked. Well, there's that. And also, like, look, I trust God, but I also wear a seatbelt. You know what I mean? Like, I, I trust God, um, but I also don't run a red light. I trust that the government has put a restriction on not just running, going through any, going through an intersection willy nilly for, for my protection and the protection of others. Like, I, yeah, a lot yeah. of times with, with a lot of these things, people are very selective in how they're applying it like that. It's like, okay, but do you have a 401k? So are you not test, not trusting God, you know, with all these other things too, about where do we draw the line about, no, no, you're infringing on my freedom. If we stop and think about it, there's probably thousands of examples of ways that we're totally okay with the government telling us what to do. Right. right. Uh, we're, we're just not, we're not very self-aware. And it's just when our buttons get pushed, we just want to push back and create yeah. some rationalization, which really doesn't hold together. To be fair, having some concern about government overreach and what the long-term effects of that are going to be, I think is fair. Absolutely. I think it's fair and even wise to consider that there's a very real possibility that, you know, the, a bell has been rung that can't be unrung. And what that's, going to, what that's going to look like, maybe not in the immediate future, but five or ten years from now, I think, I think considering that is not foolishness but faithfulness. So, so I think having a, having a considerate thinking about that and what that might look like and what that might mean and what faithfulness might look like in light of that. Uh, it is wise, not foolish. So I just think, uh, you know, having concerns about government overreach, I don't think is a problem. Uh, rebelling against it is like it might be overreach, but that has nothing to do with my obligations. You know what I mean? Like it's it, yeah. Right. And this will come up a lot more when we talk about reopening because these are yeah. the sorts of questions that were are are tricky, and yeah. we have to figure out. All right, so last one, and then we should probably close it off. Yeah. Uh, number ten. And this is, you know, it's number 10 for a reason. This is the note I wanted to end on in my Facebook post and a good note to end on here. Christians should be supremely thankful that we belong body and soul, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, to our Savior. This doesn't mean we cannot or will not fear, but we can balance that with greater concerns than bodily health. And we can still seek to preserve God-given life as best as we reasonably can. In the end, we should be champions of life and its flourishing, which means loving our neighbors, seeking their welfare, and serving our communities. Yeah. It's okay to have fear. Uh, and I read an interesting article the other day by Scott Swain, and he, he was just saying, you know, the nature of the heart, sort of biblically speaking. And it's, it's not that we give people hope so that it replaces fear, but that it kind of counterbalances fear. There are yeah. things that we should be afraid of, like if we're, if we're paying attention. Uh, but but Christians should understand, like, ultimately, we have far more hope and assurance than we do fear. And that should free us not to be casual about how we kind of handle life and handle other people. That should free us to love them more. Because we don't have to worry about ultimate things. Ultimate things are already in his hands. Yeah. So I would nuance that this way, as I would say, you know, uh, it's not that we're not afraid. Or, and to be fair, there are commands that say, don't be afraid. In fact, that's a command that's often given. But I think what that's referring to is don't have a posture of fear. Don't have a posture of fear. Have instead have a posture of, I trust. I, I have faith in. I believe that God is sovereign and able to handle it. And so. 
it's not that we're not afraid. It's that that's not our uh, default. Does that make sense? Like that that's not like our right. And we and we and again, if if the ultimate reality of things is that we belong body and soul to our Savior Jesus Christ, right? If that's the ultimate reality, then our then what's ultimately driving us is that hope and that joy, right? And the the fears that we have, even the 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 right fears, the rational fears, are kind of earthbound. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they, they can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm just legitimate to be afraid of certain things, uh, yeah. especially when it comes to, you know, you, you lost your job or, you know, a loved one is very sick or whatever. I mean, yes, there should be some fear. Uh, but for the Christian, uh, there's a greater hope um, that, it, you know, and, and the greater glory that's coming can't even be compared to all the suffering in this world. Yeah. Right. So we, so, you know, again, we have pastors that speak about, yes, there's suffering in this world. I'm not going to be silly and say that there isn't, but yeah. the greater glory to come can't even be compared. It's not even worth comparing to what's coming. So, you know, so our default mode isn't fear because there's a much bigger, much more ultimate reality uh, that's, that's driving us. For sure. That's all, that's super important during times like this when it just feels like everything's out of control. To know that no, it's not out of control. Yes, in some earthly way, things are sort of out of control right now. It's Our government's my, it's, it's out of my control. Well, right, but I mean, say, you know, yeah. from an earthly perspective, it's like yeah. yeah, things are a little out of control right now. But from yeah. a you know big picture ultimate perspective, things are totally in control and always are. Yes. Yeah. So our our fear is always sort of limited i guess uh and and should be balanced with greater things yeah well i'm matt i'm kevin <laughs> right and we've been talking church and COVID 19 and we promise that every episode is not going to be COVID 19 because i know it's kind of COVID 19 all the time and for i know for me sometimes i just like need a break from it um, but probably the next one also we'll be dealing with that and then we'll move on to, you know, other things. Sounds good. So we'll see you next time. Grace and peace.